But before, before we open the word, I've asked Barb to come and share a testimony. Thank you. Um, thanks for the applause. I appreciate that. Um, a few weeks ago, I was asked by the Testimony Project to give a testimony. So this is going to be a shortened version of that. So those who have heard that, you may recognise some of the theme coming out today. But I grew up in Launceston and I had a mum and a dad and a sister and a brother. Shirley, Bruce and Barbara, that's our family. Very Australian names. And when I was about eight, my dad left home and left the family and um, we were left with a single parent. So I guess as an eight-year-old, how do you actually process that? It's a really difficult thing when suddenly you feel abandoned, you feel, and you may not name that up at the time, but you feel abandoned, you feel rejected. And as a result of that, a lot of behaviours came out of my um, young age at, high, at primary school and then into my teenage years and then um, even into my adult life. So it definitely has an impact when um, a family splits up and uh, you're left alone without a dad or, or a mum. And uh, you have to work through that as you get older. But as a young person, I felt a lot of shame um, that I had to um, not have as much as other kids at, at primary school. Didn't have the perfect uniform. Wore ripped jeans. Oh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got ripped jeans. <laughs> it's fashion, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that went into adulthood when I, um, uh, into high school, being on the free list and getting all your free stationery and the shame attached to that as you walked to the office and people knew that you had no money and that you were from a single parent um, family. It was a real stigma, you know, 23 years ago when I was eight. But... Uh, <laughs> 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 um, Anyway, mum struggled on and got us through um, adulthood and we grew up in the Salvation Army and, and definitely had some sort of faith um, from eight onwards. Um, but once I, got, once I met my future husband, Steve, um, we, we definitely um, went into our marriage um, thinking, I, me thinking, I'm never going to be good enough and um, had to work through that. And those who remember back in the day, WEC College, which is now called Worldview, um, we used to have students come from WEC to our church in Kings Meadows and we would often take them home for hot dogs in a roll and sauce on a Sunday night, classy stuff. <laughs> and um, I remember one young man coming, I can't remember his name, Steve, I don't know if you can, but he came to our home and he just started to talk about the Father Heart of God and the the revelation of what that meant to me, it was like as we were talking, this massive light bulb went on. And I thought, the Father heart of God. All these years I've had a diminished view of God and who he is because of my experience of my earthly father. And it started to transform my life. I started to read the word and really understand God's love for me and his father heart for me and I didn't have to depend on an earthly father for that. And um, as I was doing the testimony the other day, I had this block around my favourite verses that helped me through that period. And I do remember Psalm 103, um, bless the Lord all my soul, all my inmost being, bless his holy name. And that really sustained me through those years. But then the guy that was actually filming me <laughs> googled, <laughs> Father Heart of God. And this verse is just astounding. It just really spoke to me about 
um, again reaffirming that um, as I build this picture of my heavenly father and the earthly father relationship diminishes, this verse really spoke to me. It was from Matthew 23, 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. What more can I say? I don't have to live in the past. I don't have to live in brokenness. I don't have to live in rejection and abandonment. And I certainly don't feel those things now because of what Christ has done in my life. The greatness of God, huh? Mary and I had the privilege of being with our kids in... Melbourne for a week, locked down there, which actually worked because our grandsons couldn't go to school and they were with us. But something hit me while I was there, and I, I realized something. Uh, and I just want to share a little bit of that story following on from, from Barb, and that is that, you know, when, uh, when Mary and I got married and our first son came along, there was such a joy in my heart. I literally danced around the, the living room. Uh, I came back from the hospital. It was, he was born on December 15th, so I put on Handel's Messiah and played the one part over and over again, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and literally for two hours was just on such a high. And uh, so excited. And then a little later, we had a second son, and I actually had this fear could I love this one as much as I love the first one? And something happened when he was born, and it's like my heart just expanded. And a third one came along. And the same thing happened. And that was great. A number of years after that, I was surprised again in that uh, our oldest son got married. And when he got married... He married a gal who was part of the church that we led in Melbourne. We, we knew her. We knew her family. Uh, loved her as part of the church, but something happened when they got married. Something happened in my heart. All of a sudden, it expanded again, and it surprised me. And I had this love for this girl, this woman, as if she were my daughter. She became part of our family. There was something that changed. Mary calls our uh, boys' wives our daughters in love. They're not daughters-in-law, they're daughters-in-love. And there's something that happened. I was surprised as they became part of our family, not because they were added to Mary and I, but because they came into a marriage relationship with our sons. It actually surprised me. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19 says, Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It literally means members of God's family. That's pretty amazing. Most of us are aware, we've talked about the new covenant that connects us with Jesus. But just in case you haven't, Luke chapter 22, 
the story of, from verse 14 to 20, the story of Jesus establishing the new covenant. In verse 15, he says, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He was passionate about this because something was happening. And I say to you, I no longer eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of, of God. And to go through it, he takes a cup, he gives it to him, he takes the bread and says, this is my body. And then verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. He took the cup after supper. There was a second cup. By that time in Jewish culture, the Passover included this remembrance of what God had done in passing over them, the, the blood that, that was on the doorpost that covered the sin, but there was another cup that was set there that they didn't take. It was a prophetic picture of the new covenant that would come. That's the cup Jesus took and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. We've talked about this before, so I'm not going to cover it all, but it reflects the covenant of marriage. When a couple were to get married, the fathers would agree, but they have a dinner in the culture at that time. And at the end of the dinner the future bridegroom would take the cup and he would extend it and say, I choose you. And if she took it and drank of it, they immediately were entered into a covenant. See, in our culture, the covenant comes when the actual marriage ceremony begins. But in that culture, it came with that passing of the cup. So they understood when Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant, it was similar to a marriage engagement. And then what happened in that culture is that the bridegroom would go to wherever he was from, either back to his family's house or city if he was from somewhere else, and he would actually build a home, either a house or an extension on his parents' home. And when that was finished, he would come back and there would be this marriage celebration. But the covenant didn't begin with the celebration. It began with that cup. <coughs> Sound familiar? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will return and take you to myself. And what's the end of the book? It's a marriage feast. We know that. We've entered into this covenant of love with Jesus. But in addition to that... We also become part of God's family. When we enter into that covenant with his son, we become part of his family. That's amazing. Not only do we get covenant with Jesus, the king of the universe, we get to be part of the family of God. I want to say this. God didn't see family and then decide to use it as an illustration of himself. He didn't say, oh, wow, look, let, let's look at this. Okay, I'll use this. He actually created it the way he did because of who he is. He's a loving father. In fact, he's the perfect picture of a father. Thing is, we learn a father from both the word and from life. As Barb shared, 
But we need to understand this. The image we get from life will always be an inferior image. We see through a glass dimly. It'll always be an inferior image. A friend of mine years ago, his uh, dad left when his mom was pregnant before he was ever born. Never, never knew a dad. Knew the idea of dad, but when it came to God as a father, he just had a blank. Unfortunately, he had no image of God, but for some of us, the image we have is negative or toxic or even hurtful. What I want to say to this is rather than lament that, let's allow it to give us a hunger to know the true father, the true picture. No matter how good your dad was or how bad, it's always going to be an inferior image. See, the thing is, a faulty image can't continue to be our only image. And that's what Barb shared. All of a sudden, something happened. The light went on, and she realized my image of God has been negatively influenced by my experience. But she didn't stay there. She allowed the revelation that comes through the Holy Spirit to change that image. I love that. See, the problem is that that faulty image not only can distort our image of God, but it can distort our image of ourselves. It can distort our image of family. And God wants to set us free from that. So what do we do when we realize we've had a bad image or representation of God. Two things I want to share with you. First is very simple. We realize his grace is sufficient. I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God speaking to uh, Paul we often get caught up in the circumstances. Paul had a, a difficulty. He called it a thorn in the flesh. But verse 9, he said to me, this is God speaking. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to tell you this morning, God speaking, his grace is sufficient for you. For my grace is made perfect in weakness. Every one of us has an inferior image of God, but his grace is sufficient. He's pouring out a new grace awakening, a new revelation of who he is. And I think it starts here. My grace is sufficient. What that means is that he can set us free from an inferior or a bad image or model. He can do that. He can heal the hurts we've received. He can do that. He can reveal himself. So the first place we start is always an understanding that his grace is sufficient. But the second place is that we then take the step to say, God, will you show me yourself? 
See, God revealing himself is what the whole Bible is about. He's not hesitant to do that. He's wanting to do that. When we say, God, I realize the image I have is inferior, but will you reveal yourself? Will you bring a revelation, something that only comes from you, that I won't know otherwise? Will you reveal who you are? God's more than than excited to do that. If you read Luke 15... There's a story of the prodigal son. I won't go into the whole story, but I love this part. The prodigal son's gone away. He decides he's going to come back, and the father's looking. And when he sees the son afar off, he runs to him. God's running to reveal himself, to correct the wrong image, to set us free, to break the chain. See, because that wrong image can actually be chains not change, chains that limit us from how we respond to him, that limit us from coming into the place of intimacy, that limit us from trusting him when he says he wants to do something in and through us. So it's very key. We ask him, Lord, would you reveal yourself? You're going to be shocked because I'm almost finished. (laughs) You thought that I hadn't preached for three weeks. I'm going to take a long time today, did you? (laughs) Naughty on you. (laughs) I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head for a moment. It's God's presence that makes us different. It's not just the information we have. It's not just seeing things differently, but it's his presence that transforms us. So we're just going to ask him that he would pour his grace and love upon us. Lord, while you're here, would you pour grace and love upon us? Would you bring healing where there's been hurt? Would you bring a change of the image where you set us free? from the limitations that that's caused. Right now, you who pour, Holy Spirit, the love of God in our hearts, will you pour? We don't just want to know about you. We want to experience you. We don't just want to have an image of God as a father, some theological argument. We want to experience And Lord, where we've had faulty fathers, 
faulty images. We just choose to forgive. We just now release that image and say, will you re-image us? We're made in your image. You said that three times in Genesis. We're made in your image. That was your intent. And so, Father, we thank you for fathers, but we allow that to give us a hunger to know you. There's one other arena I believe God wants to, do, to touch this morning, and that's setting us as who are fathers free from the condemnation and shame that comes from not being perfect. See, there's something that happens when we begin to know God and we realize how wonderful he is and how bad of a dad I was or I am. And there's this, I think for many men, a constant condemnation. If only I'd done this more or done that more. Or, and God wants to set us free. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. His grace is not only sufficient for me, it's sufficient for my children. As much as I wanted to represent him, I'm not perfect, he is, I failed, but his grace is still sufficient. And I think he's wanting to bring freedom to many dads who have carried this sense of condemnation. I wish I had done better. See, the problem is we get wiser as we get older. I look back, I thought I was a pretty good dad. I look back and I think, oh my goodness. What an idiot. I see so much different. I'm, I'm much better of a grandfather than a, a dad. Huh? Can I ask? Yeah. Can, Christine just said, can we add single moms into that as well? And moms. That's a whole other story, but it really does come down to a sense of condemnation. And God's Word says that in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. You know, that's actually means exactly what it says. There's no condemnation. God knew when he created me, I would not be a perfect father. So he said, my grace is sufficient. When my kids come to know him, he can redeem them. Just as we can be redeemed, just as he can change the image and set us free as Barb was sharing this morning, just as the light can come on and revelation can come and we can see God differently, he can do that for our children as well. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful. We're not perfect. 
Your past doesn't define your future because of God's grace. We don't have to be condemned that we're not perfect. We just have to recognize his grace is still sufficient. Three applications. Obviously this morning, I think we've talked about them, but one is if you've never actually met him, if you've never come into covenant with Jesus, if you've never actually become a follower of Jesus, he's extending that cup to you today and saying, I choose you. A cup of love, of marriage. Every time we take communion, we're remembering him. Not just what he's done, but who he is. We're remembering that we're in covenant with him. But also there is freedom and healing that he wants to do. And then a setting free from condemnation. Again, we just allow him to do that. I asked you to bow your heads and then I talked for a long time and so most of you, I apologize. We just allow the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, do what only you can do. Your grace. A greater revelation. We are frail. But you are greater. How great is our God. Lord, remove the wrong image right now. Remove the shame. But also remove the condemnation. We simply come before you because of the, the blood. I'm going to ask, uh, throw the uh, worship team into a spin. I want to go back and do, uh, that's been the whole way all morning because we did a whole lot of things different. But I want to just finish with uh, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Okay? And just allow him to do that again. Is that okay? Would you stand with us as we, uh, the only reason I have you stand because I really struggle to sing while I'm sitting down. I just get too excited. So I want you to stand with me. Otherwise, I feel really like I'm weird. through um, worship and the preaching, I've just had this picture of oil being poured out, and it's reaching into the deepest parts, every joint. It's reaching the heart. It's reaching the places that you can't reach, like when your back itches and you can't quite reach it. <laughs> it's reaching those places. I just felt as we sing this, the oil of the Holy Spirit is just going to come, and if you feel like crying, it's okay. You can cry. If you feel like laughing, you can laugh. <laughs> if you just want to enjoy that presence, enjoy it. Um, 
If there's someone crying around you, don't feel like you have to go lay hands on them and pray for them. Just let the Holy Spirit do a deep work because he's actually shifting some things. This is going to be a life-changing day for some people, and we, we just want him to do his thing. So let's welcome, welcome that moving of the Holy Spirit. was uh, 13 my dad died I went through my teenage years without a dad Mary and I were with youth with a mission years later after we were married sitting on a little island in the Pacific called Saipan I was preparing to teach and out of the blue God spoke to me one of the first times in my life I can say that God spoke to me not audibly but basically said, why don't you ever allow me to affirm you? And with that word, it's like a door to a whole warehouse that I'd never seen was opened. And I realized that my approach 
to God was very much like my approach to my dad, who I knew he loved me, but he worked two and sometimes three jobs, didn't have much time. When he spoke to me, it was either because I needed correction, I had done something wrong, or I needed direction. And so I was approaching God that way. When I came to his presence, I was expecting God to point out something that I was doing wrong and needed to change. And as we started seeing this, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, there's some people here that God's wanting to say, I want to affirm you. See, he just actually runs to pour his love upon us. Not just to correct us or to give us direction, but just to wrap his arms around us and comfort us. As we sing this again, let's just allow the Father to do that.
adopted sons and daughters. And we just remember that adoption in, in your culture is not a second class son or a daughter. That we have the full rights and the full inheritance. son and daughter by blood just sensing from the Holy Spirit that there's people here that have grown up in a house without a father you don't know what it's like to have the love of a father demonstrated to you you haven't had a hug from a father. If that's you, I actually invite you to be bold and come out the front and receive a hug that you missed out on all those years ago. And I'll, I'll ask some of the uh, leadership team, the, the men, to come forward and be involved in that transaction. So if that's you, come forward and allow God to heal you. God wants to heal you. And I just want to declare right now on behalf of all fathers that you are valuable, you are priceless, you are incredible and I just speak the blessing of a father over you. I bless you. I bless you as a father myself. I speak that blessing over you where you've missed out on the blessing in your life. I just declare that now and I invite you to come out and receive the father's love. some of you who are fathers you just come and even as you're uh, hugging someone would you just proclaim the blessing of the father over them yeah. it's not something we do over everyone Richard this might seem a little strange to you we're just trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit Allow him to bring healing where he wants to bring healing. Your blood, your blood. 
bless you we're going to be uh, dismissed if you would like someone to pray with you still there'd be some people who'd love to do that if you haven't met Jesus we'd love to introduce you to him but all the rest of us let's just continue to ask him to enlarge our revelation of who he is and his grace Lord thank you for your presence thank you for your goodness thank you for your love poured out God bless you. Carry his presence with you.